Welcome to SAR JV's podcast, Sardisms. I'm Mariah Young, and today I'm joined by Kevin Monk, Managing Director of SARD. We both love great technology coupled with great customer service. The main aim of SARD is to help improve the NHS, England's public health service. Healthcare and IT are ever-changing, and we are interested in the ways that we could help it evolve with the growing population. In this episode, we're chatting with Chase Clemens, who is a support pro at Basecamp, a project management program that we actually use here at SARD JV. Chase has been in customer support for many moons and knows the ins and outs to making his customers happy. We've all experienced not so great customer service and know how it feels when things aren't resolved aptly. Chase is trying to tackle those unfortunate experiences and show the world it doesn't have to be that way. Welcome, Chase. I think a good place to start is to learn a little bit more about you, Chase, and your experiences and how you've come to where you are today. Yeah, thanks. So started with Basecamp back in 2011. Um, so been there almost a decade now, right? Before that, uh, my I'll tell you, all the way back in college, my end goal was I wanted to be a high school social studies teacher. Really? Right? So like my college degree is in nothing customer related. It's political science, history, and education. Um, I mean, I guess you could say kids are customers and parents. Like you could run that rabbit hole if you wanted to. But when I graduated, we in the U.S. were going into a pretty deep recession at that point. So there wasn't a lot of companies hiring and a lot of school systems hiring. So it was literally like, where can I get a job? because I had just gotten married. Uh, my wife was still in college at the time. And I was like, I, if nothing else, I need health insurance, <laughs> right? right. Um, so I fell back on uh, the restaurant world. My, uh, my parents had owned restaurants when I was growing up. It was a, a world I was familiar with. So I got hired on at a restaurant, worked there for a couple of years out of college until I saw this uh, just passing um, blog post over at Basecamp for a customer support rep. And for me, it was like, look, this is Basecamp. They, they're probably going to get thousands of applications. There's no way I'm going to get this job, but why not? Like, why not? let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Great. You know? Love that. So uh, I sent in my application and uh, Jason called me a couple of days later as I was leaving the restaurant on the way home and we had a good conversation. And then long story short, I got hired there. Uh, this was 2011. So like I said, I've been there for a decade now. And man, support then looks a lot different than it mm. does now. It's been a mm. really fun um, kind of journey as uh, not only I got better at at supporting our customers, but our team did and even our company did, which is really cool. How did it change? I think the biggest part was, so when, we'll take training for instance, right? Onboarding a new support person can be really intimidating, really challenging. When I got hired, it was this kind of, we're gonna throw you in the deep end and see what happens, which, I loved, right? Because I was I was answering customer emails the first day that wow. I started, which was really cool. Um, so you got to see this like immediate impact. Looking back on that, there was a lot of like just, it, I'll put it this way, it was not a calm way to onboard somebody. Mm. A subtle reference there to our latest, you know, book on how, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Um, so it wasn't a calm onboarding experience. So since then, we've gotten much better at that. We've kind of set up more of a uh, structured onboarding where it's like, no, we're going to, like, we're going to talk about the history of the company today. We're going to talk about how uh, Basecamp works on this day. We're going to talk about how our billing system works on this day. And we're going to like lead you through this more structured onboarding uh, to get you up to speed, that kind of thing. So we've changed a little bit there. Also, our kind of view on supporting customers has changed a little. You go back to 2011, you know, outside of like some wild, crazy times around the launches of Basecamp 2 and Basecamp 3, we were very much a, 
we want to get you, the customer, a reply as quick as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. So everything that we, that was basically the mindset and everything was built out from that. So we went to 24-7 support because we wanted to cut down on those reply time. We hired out the team and did so across the world because we wanted to cut down those, those reply times. And we got damn fast. We, I mean, we were, you know, you send us an email and you're going to have a reply in a minute, maybe two minutes. And we made a big deal out of that. Um, it was kind of like Amazon's, the analogy we used was Amazon's two-day shipping, right? Like everyone loved that. You cannot get something too fast. And it turns out you can. <laughs> uh, maybe not like shipping from, you know, wherever you're ordering from. But what we found was even though our answers might have been technically correct, when you get them in less than a minute, it feels off. It feels weird. It feels like it's a robotic reply. Exactly. Um, yeah. It doesn't feel like a human reply. And even if it does feel like a human reply, because, you know, we pepper it with emojis and fun things and like all <laughs> that, right? Even if it does feel human, it feels like that other person didn't take the time to read what you really needed, right? Yep. We had spent years to get to that point of you're going to get a reply less than a minute or two, right? And once we realized that, we started having to go back and go, all right, is it really that bad if a customer has to wait like an hour? Mm, no, not really. You know, 30 minutes? Yeah, no, not really. Um, so giving ourselves that kind of like, let's walk back on the time focus and really dive in more on the like, just the the overall great experience you can have. That was a big shift for us too. The the quick response time is a little bit antithetical to the, it doesn't have to be crazy at work book and that concept of calm as well yeah it, it can at times um when you're when you're on the golden path and everything's working right you know like mm. when everyone on the team is in when everyone's focused on what they should be doing when nothing breaks when nothing's going weird when you're not living in a pandemic <laughs> like mm -hmm. you yeah. know that it you can do quick replies and it still feel calm but when anything gets out just a little bit it's that snowball effect. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden it's, you're trying to chase inbox zero when one, you really don't need to. And two, it's just causing more stress to try to chase it. So yeah, why? Like, why do that? We had a strange dilemma on our e-rostering system. So we've got a constraint solver that solves it. And you see the AI working out where to put doctors in shifts. We updated the engine running that constraint solver and it increased it by about a hundredfold, but left us with this weird dilemma that it was so fast you couldn't see the AI working out where to place the doctors. And mm -hmm. we had the same thing, almost like that uncanny valley of people were like, that's not real. It's not, <laughs> that's yeah. not thinking. It can't be thinking. It was too quick. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so <laughs> it gave us a weird dilemma to, to slow it down so that people could see that it was thinking about how to, to roster the doctors rather than just come up with an instant reply. Yeah. Sometimes a little delay is a good thing. Yeah. And we also, we, we've got a chat system and uh, one of the big barriers we have is convincing our users that it isn't a robot. Yeah. Right. Because there's such an expectation for all users, all chat systems to be some sort of AI assisted chat bot thing mm -hmm. and have this workflow. And uh, are you real? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm real. <laughs> I'm a real human. It went from this weird, like, you know, chat, I don't know, five, six years ago was kind of 
I won't say like bleeding edge tech or anything like right, that, but you were seeing it appear in more places on web apps, mm. like Basecamp. Um, and it was kind of more loose. It was more informal. Like there was never a question about, is this a bot on the other side? And something shifted in the last couple of years where it is very much like, uh, it's almost like a, just a chat version of a phone tree now, you know, mm. you got to say the right words in the right way. And then somehow that bot on the other side is going to get you into the place where you need to be. And it's yep. just, it's this weird, you like, once you've had that experience anywhere with a chat, it's hard not to uh, bring that mentality into other places as well. Yeah. We really rally against and, and struggle with convincing people that that's not, that's not the case. It's so hard. We put in our chat system about 10 years ago. Uh, well, pretty much from day one, when we switched the system on, partly because I had this feeling that I shouldn't open the doors to our business and not be there to greet people. It felt like a politeness thing. You know, the, the Walmart greeter sort of, <laughs> you know, someone comes yeah. in, there's no one to look after you. And we put it in there. And yeah, it's been one of the best things that we ever did um, for our customer service. Uh, mm. It's been fantastic for us. I'm a bit surprised more, more companies don't do it. And I don't want to sound like I'm challenging you guys, but <laughs> why isn't there a chatbot? On base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the fun story is there is when we want there to be. And this is about the, that right. calm experience again, right? So with emails, doesn't matter how many are coming in, like you can't just shut off the spigot for them, right? So that, that kind of forces you into our first primary focus needs to be emails. Has to be, right? Mm -hmm. With chat, you can toggle that on and off. Um, and that's, so we use a, a great customer support tool called Help Scout, and that's what they allow us to do. It's when we're not staffed to the point where we can do chat or we're running behind on helping other customers so we can't really do chat well, we just toggle that chat off and you're good to go. Right. Um, now, okay. a year ago, it was, you would see chat about you know, really US working hours was Pretty much all the time because we were staffed right um the email control was under control like everything was fine you would get that chat experience right away now with the launch of hey and you know all the whirlwind that that has brought into the company um we're just not at a point where we can offer chat as a great quick option for us so mm -hmm. that's literally if you went to basecamp today it's toggled off you see a form to send us an email and we're going to get back to you within an hour. Yeah, you know, down the road, once things settle out from hay and, and things kind of get back to, to normal across the board, yeah, when we can, we're going to offer that chat. It all comes back to like what, what, what things can you control, right? Um, and, and what levers do you have where you can pull and say, look, we're, we're going to make this working environment as calm as possible first for our support team because it's 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 kind of like the safety videos with airplanes, right? Like put your oxygen mask on first, like take care of yourself first, mm. take care of your team first, and mm. then build out from there. Because if you've got chat on, but it's running your, your team ragged, like congratulations, you're not going to have a great support experience at that point. But just having an on off lever that we can pull with chat that lets us kind of bail out of that one channel and focus elsewhere we need to, while at the same time taking care of our team. Way back in the day before we even did chat, we had the same option for phones. You could, if, if it was toggled on, you could go to Basecamp support page and you, you would see like, hey, do you want to do an email or do you want to put your name in for a phone call back? 
Um, so no like weird mm -hmm. phone trees, no sitting on hold or anything like that. It was, you put your name in for a phone call back and then we call you back as quick as we could. And it was usually, you know, five to 10 minutes, that kind of thing. But just like with chat, if you're not on that golden path where everything's working normally, um, it can be really tough to live up to that promise of we're going to call you back real quick. So you toggle it off, you focus on emails while you can. And then when you get to the place where you offer that option with phones again, you, you do. Um, it, it's, it's all about you being in control of the support experience to make sure that your customers aren't left with a bad experience. How do you manage those expectations from your customers, though? If one day they came on and there was a chat and then the next day there wasn't, is that an yeah, issue? It's, it's really just not an issue. Um, oh, most people don't even notice. Um, you know, even where we were running chat you know, more frequently than we were, it's no big deal. Because I think at the end of the day, customers just want to get their question answered. And if you pop up and, and say like, all right, here's the box, we're going to get your question answered. You've got two options. Which one do you want to do? Uh, like, that's a secondary decision for them. The first is I need to get the question answered. And then they go, all right, well, I'm here, chat's here, like, let's do that. And they pick. If you take away that chat option, the first box is still there. They still need to get the question answered. So most folks just don't even like it's, it's not even really a thing. Yeah. Usually when I get emails from people asking like, Hey, wasn't there a chat box the other day? You dig in a little bit and they're like running customer support somewhere else too. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> uh, you're okay, on cool. it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You've become a customer yeah. support nerd. Yeah. We always say that when you work at SARD, you basically it ruins customer support for you pretty much everywhere else yeah. you go. And it's the same way like across the board. Like because I used to work in restaurants, I notice all sorts of little things when I go out now. It took a long time before my wife would be like, it's okay. Like, yeah. don't worry, just enjoy the experience. And I'm sitting here going, but, but, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I, I was a server for years and years and years. And oh my goodness. Yeah, you just can't enjoy it the same yeah. way. <laughs> But you're also really patient as well. Like you're, yeah. oh, they must be having an off night, or <laughs> you you have excuses for them as well because you understand how hard it is. Yeah, that empathy is really there. Which is, you know, when you see other uh, support apps or companies go down, you're like, oh, I feel you. Like anytime <laughs> we, on the rare occasion that we see um, um, Help Scout go down, you know, we're all real nice about just dropping them an email, being like, hey, it's okay. Like you've got this. Don't worry. Uh, I forget which company it was, but they were having some pretty rough downtime last year. And I think we ended up sending them like some donuts or something like that. Oh. Just to be like, look, it's like wow. we we get it. We know what yeah. you what you're going through because we've been there. You know that there's some good people trying to get that thing back on. Yeah. Desperately. Back online. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about um the test and trace app that's been built in the UK mm -hmm. for coronavirus. And there's so much mud flinging because it's such a political issue especially here where you've got a national nhs service and it's been put front and center and there's all you know one side throwing mark this way <laughs> and the other and it's crap and it should use the google api and it should use the apple api and oh we'll build something in-house and it's like just people fighting and you just know that there's people fighting and that underneath are these UX engineers and project managers and and software developers all working really mm -hmm. hard to just create something good. And they, they got it released the other day. And I was just like, you know, thumbs up to them because <laughs> they, they had this whole battle going on over their head. And I bet you there were good, good people behind that just trying to 
create something that worked nicely. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Well done, guys. Well done, NHS Test and Trace. Basecamp are essentially our customer service role models at SART. And so who are your role models? Who do you guys think is doing great customer service and why? So when I'm sitting here trying to figure out a problem, and it's like, all right, I need to look at how another company has done it. Uh, a couple of ones. Uh, in in the kind of like SaaS app environment, Help Scout is just fantastic. This is the third time I've talked about them. Um, I'm not getting paid to or anything like that. They literally are um, just one of the best not only best products out there for doing customer service and doing it right, the company itself is just great. Nick and, and all of them over there are fantastic. I, you know, um, it's one of the few places where uh, they hired one of our support team members. And I was like, you know, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, I'm not going to blackball you for that. Totally understandable. <laughs> um, so they are just whip smart. I, I love uh, working with them and, and the way they think about support. Um, outside of that, you know, I, I start looking in unconventional places because if I look at other companies that are doing things the base camp way, it's okay, that's cool. You know, glad you're doing it. But it's not like good ideas are found in places of friction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're looking for other companies that have run into the problem that you're dealing with and maybe they're not exactly like you, but you can take something from them. It's so like one of the other ones I always love is there's a, it's kind of a bank. It's kind of a, a credit union thing here in the US called USAA. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a fantastic company. It's literally one of the few places that I enjoy putting my money at which is just weird right that's you don't weird. think so about weird yeah you don't think about <laughs> banks being like oh i had a great experience with them the the thing with usaa is that it's such a wide variety of cases that they have to cover because it is a world of banking they do everything from checking and savings accounts to home insurance to car insurance like they run the gamut right when we were looking at ways of dealing with ownership with hay and with base camp who determines uh, you know ownership transitions of of financial accounts is a really good place to look because the way that they handle those, you've got so many big security concerns around it and not and that plus monetary concerns. Like you can pull some good ideas from how they handle it. Mm-hmm. So literally one day I just called up USA and was like, Hey, I just like in theory, if, if something happens to me, right? Like, how do you handle that process next for whoever's trying to figure out what to do with my accounts? And they were really great about walking through, like, this is how we would handle it. You know, this is the... the they must have been so suspicious. <laughs> what's going to happen? Right? What's, what's going on here? Wait, what's going to happen to you? Right? Sorry. Like, what's going on? But it was really cool to see the, the kind of plan that they have in place for dealing with stuff like that. And we were able to bring some of those good ideas back to base camp ownership transfers and hate account transfers and, and that kind of thing. So I think, yeah, again, like USAA is a really great example of doing that support experience right. Like it's not an easy task moving your money from one bank to another and setting all that up, but it's easier than most people think. So having that edge and great mm. support is one thing that keeps me with them. And I mean, hell, if I pay a couple extra dollars a month on insurance for my car, like I don't care. I'm getting my money's worth out of their support. We had that conversation yeah. earlier, didn't we, Kevin? <laughs> we, did. we did yeah 
Yeah, it's looking at the best customer service and the worst. Yeah. We found the uh, antichrist mm. of customer service, which is Ryanair. You've yeah. been you, that side of the pond. I don't know. Do you know about so Ryanair? We don't get to use them a lot, but I, I've heard horror stories, like yeah. absolute horror stories. Here in the mm. US, we have a couple of other like cheap budget airlines like that, where it's, you know, we're going to charge you 150 bucks for checking your baggage. And yeah. I don't know if they're quite as bad as Ryanair. Like at this point, if <laughs> Ryanair opens up like a, a new plan where they're like, you know what, we're not going to have seats on our planes. We're going to like strap you and standing yeah. up. I'd be like, yeah, I, I could see you yeah. trying to do that. Yeah, we were literally talking about this. In fact, we we were pulling up quotes from Michael O'Leary. It's it's almost like Basil Forty in Forty Towers. You know, it's so bad, it's kind of funny. <laughs> You know, what he said, on passengers who forget to print their boarding passes, we think they should pay 60 euros for being so stupid. <laughs> and uh, what was the, uh, Germans will crawl naked over broken glass to get low affairs. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> wow. hey, like that's that's wow. one theory, right? Like running your company with, with service, with, with customer service and support as a, as a like uh, expense account kind of thing. That, that's one way you can go about it. You know, but it's also one of those things that your customers are going to think about. So the next time you've got to book a flight, like you're not going with Ryanair, you don't want to deal with that. So it's it's a it's an ambitious bet. Like maybe they can make it work. I wouldn't want to be in that situation. I'm not sure the bad customer service is bad business, and I'm not sure that good customer service is good business. Like it is possible that people doing bad things come out tops. Yeah. That like, you know, people say crime doesn't pay. Well, I'm not sure. I think it does pay. It does, that's not the reason you shouldn't do something. <laughs> it's because it doesn't. It's because it doesn't work. It it may well work. You just shouldn't do it because you shouldn't do it. It's if you can get away with it. Yeah, I I used to still use Ryanair. I I kind of like him as a bad. I I always like people who are a bit bad in a way and like you know they're coming almost comically villainous um but i i will still use mm -hmm. them because they've got dirt cheap fares and and he said this there's a sort of honesty about Michael Leary. He's like, all they care about is cheap flights. Mm -hmm. That's all they care about. They don't care. They know they know that they chucked your granny <laughs> off of a flight. They know that you they did the most horrendous things, but they also know that you don't care when you go and buy that ticket. That's why they carry on behaving like that. And in some industries, that really matters. Like you wouldn't expect to see really bad service in a restaurant or a hotel or something where, where the service is the product. But in something that's very transactional, certainly over here, utilities, cable companies, banks, uh, you know, gas, electric, phone, cable, whatever it is, it, in those industries, I kind of feel like maybe it doesn't matter if they give you bad bad service and so those companies who are doing it right are doing it do doing good customer service aren't doing it because they think it's a good business model they're doing it just because they think it's the right thing and i'm a big fanboy of of, of dhh and jason freed but they clearly run an ethical show and i get the impression that you know you, they wouldn't have employed you and i get the impression from you that, that ethics of business matters is is that what pushes people into good customer service? And if if crime 
does pay. <laughs> <laughs> if being bad isn't a bad business model, what can we do to improve improve that? I think it comes back to again, what can you get away with, right? If you're the only airline in the game then doesn't matter what anybody thinks. If I need to get from point A to point B and you're my only option, and like, shut up, take my money and like, let's go, right? Um, so I live in, in Southern Tennessee. It's a pretty rural area around here. You don't have a lot of options for internet providers. You just don't. I've got two, one of them being a pretty big conglomeration and one of them being my local utility service. That's it. Um, over at my parents' place, they have one. It's Comcast. It's a big conglomeration. You don't have any choice there. So when you don't have choice, you can get away with a lot of things because people just, it's the monopoly effect, right? You're just locked in. It's just how it is. When you do have choice, things get different because then you, sometimes you can get away with things and sometimes you can't. Ryanair can get away with lots of things because at the end of the day, their customer base just wants cheap flights. That's it. They don't care mm -hmm. about the other stuff. Um, here in the U.S., there was a similar company that got uh, got its start over in Texas, uh, Southwest Airlines. Their whole thing in the very beginning was we want cheap rock bottom flights and we want to keep things as simple as we can to get those cheap flights. So one of their big business decisions was we're not going to have a complex fleet of aircraft. We're only going to fly a Boeing 737. All of our pilots are going to be trained on that one model. That way, if we need to move planes around or if we need to move pilots around or if we need to move flight attendants around, everybody's working on the same, the same plane. That's no problem, right? So that was one of the ways they were able to get to just real cheap dirt service. And as that airline grew and we saw airlines get consolidated here in the U.S., they then had to start competing on other things too. It was no longer price because they're, they're at the bottom, but so is Delta and so is American Airlines and so is the rest of them. What else can we do when we can't get away with just price? Well, Southwest said, you know what, we're going to do um, you know, free baggage checks that was really popular and they were able to do that. Delta went different ways. Delta said, you know what? Like we're going to sometimes offer free baggage check-in, but we're going to pride ourselves on having the absolute best service possible. And they both are doing really, really well today. Um, so it's, again, it's what can you get away with? With Basecamp, like, again, it's not like super easy for a company that has used us for a long time to move away but it is pretty easy. It's not complex. It's, you know, a couple of days worth of work. It's not months and months. So if we provide a really crappy experience to one of our customers, they'll just get up and leave. Like right. we can't get away with that. There's just too many other project management apps out there. Um, so yeah, it, it, it all comes back to like, what can you get away with? Like Ryanair can get away with a lot of things. Um, here in the U S like I'd make the argument that their equivalent airline, um, is it spirit airline or something like that? Just is not doing well. We've seen those kind of like rock bottom airlines try it and it just doesn't work. So yeah. What, what can you get away with? If you can get away with robbing the bank, then cool. Easy way to make <laughs> some money. But if you can't, then, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, do, I just feel like there are some industries where you can get away with it all the time. It's just sort of endemic in that industry that, that people don't care about about those things. And to me, it's just good customer service. It's just politeness. Mm -hmm. Like I, we struggled to 
when we were trying to find someone to do, to be a guest for this this podcast episode to focus in on customer service we sent out a thing to our friends and just said give us an example of a time you've had good customer service and it was so hard to find anyone who mm-hmm. who, who said yeah i had great you know this company not not individuals serving you but this this company is 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 brilliant and i was just it's so sad to me that that would be the case because if you asked me when was the last time you had a really positive interaction with somebody i could tell you it was half an hour ago when i was buying that coffee the guy in the coffee shop was just lovely he was chatting to me about my dog it, you know it was just such a pleasurable polite friendly positive experience in my life it wasn't about the money it wasn't about anything else it was just two people joined together on this planet and having a nice experience and I want that with, with companies as well. And it just seems like it's just way too rare that, that they, that they treat you well or that, that they just seem to, to care enough about their customers in a polite enough way to do good business with you, whether, whether it's right or wrong, like in, in a business sense. It's how do you see that? How does your, how does your company, how does your leadership see customer service and support? right? If they see it as a cost center, then the goal there is going to be to minimize the amount of money that they spend on it, right? So they want to make sure that there's not a single bug in the product anywhere because a bug is X amount of dollars when it comes to tying up a programmer or a support engineer or whoever, right? Um, the goal there is to limit the interactions that customers actually have to have with any real human people on your side, which Look, if you're AT&T, if you're Comcast, if you're the the big company, if you're Facebook, right? Like that, that's what you want. That's how you end up with massive help uh, knowledge bases. That's how you end up with, we need to block and head off any customer that's looking to talk to us. And that's one way to do it. And when you're a massive company, like, okay, like nobody's going to stop using Twitter just because they can't talk to somebody, right? When you're down on our scale, when you're, you know, base camp, dealing with mom and pop businesses that are just getting growing and they're starting to hire, like that's an entirely different um, setup because we can't afford to treat that experience as a cost center. We have to treat it as a feature of the product. It has to get as much attention as us adding in the next widget or gizmo or whatever to Basecamp itself. So it's a different mindset at that point. Like we want you to talk to us. We want you to have conversations with us. That's why you go to the support page like that big support box to get your your question answered is first and foremost, like we want you to hit there versus going over to a knowledge base, right? And Mm. it's when you do it that way, you get to establish relationships and people start having good experiences with you. Um, We've got customers that we talk to on a regular basis, just not only offering advice on how Basecamp works, but also how it ties into their business. And if their business is looking at like this specific situation, how they might want to think about it. Um, And it just kind of breeds out from there. So it's just, it's just a different way of kind of where that focus is. Um, but that's why, you know, we're going to write books like rework and it doesn't have to be crazy at work. You're not going to see AT&T do that. Hmm. Um, but you go over and you talk about like Southwest airlines again, like their CEOs have written books on the customer experience, great books. And it's because they look at it as part of what sets them apart from, from the others. Um, yeah. You're not going to see, I keep bashing on AT&T. Sorry. Um, you know, <laughs> everyone does. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to do something like that. So, yeah. 
I just, I'd like to see one of those big utilities. In fact, to, you know, to give props to um, one that has done it well, there's a company called Bulb that do lots of uh, sort of environmental electricity and gas. Uh, they're sort of environmentally minded, but they also got really good customer service. And we just switched to them from British Gas, which is like the big monster company with, with a reputation for terrible customer service that used to be the old nationalized industry here and um yeah we switched to them they weren't the cheapest but we'd heard such good feedback and that, that was really refreshing because it wasn't like a mom and pop business it was a big monster utility company with good customer service well done bob i'd like to see more 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 of those big companies with that sort of level of customer service you you touched on it's a leadership thing isn't it it's all about yeah. and i'm really curious to know how people who actually work at ryanair how they feel about their CEO saying these horrible things. Like, do they feel that way about working there? And it, it's an internal communications issue and leadership is not about customer service and it just trickles down from there. Whereas the opposite is true as well. Yeah, it really is. It's one of those where when you have big companies that, that big companies that treat that customer experience as a cost center, right? That's when you hire people that are going to follow the policy, follow it to a T, only do that. Like you want, it sounds so bad, but Seth Godin had this, this um, analogy of it's a cog in the machine, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can replace that cog at any given point. It's not a big deal. So people cycle in, they, they cycle out, and that's just the way that that business runs. When you come over to Basecamp, you know, Jason and David have a very clear idea of what a customer relationship should be like with us, which means when we go to hire people, we need to hire people that are capable of doing that. Um, we're not, like, we don't have big policies in place. Um, we don't have big rule books. We don't have big scripts. It's literally, when we hire you, we trust you to talk with our customers and to make the best decisions for them. Um, you don't have to run that decision up a chain or anything like that. Uh, so a good example, uh, when I was first hired, you know, we had some customers that were on, you know, kind of our bigger annual plans, $3,000 a year. When they cancel, they want a refund. A normal place, you'd have to like run that up the chain, right? That's a big amount of money that's going back out. So like, you want to know why they're doing it. Can you persuade them not to do that? Can you keep their money somehow? Is there something in the terms of service or the refund policy? Like, can we stop that money from leaving somehow? With Basecamp, it was, okay, cool. Like you found something else that works better. Great. Here's your money back. No questions asked. Uh, we're here if you need us. There wasn't anybody else to check in with. It was, all right, they canceled. I made the call to refund. We're good to go. And when you, when you approach the relationship that way, you've got to hire really well. You've got to train really well. And you've got to have people that actually care and have that empathy with the other customer to the point where like, we, we want people who would be uncomfortable being a cog somewhere else, right? That's just not who they are. They couldn't work in a right. system like that. Yeah, That's, mm -hmm. And it speaks volumes about the company. If you have, you instill that trust and that, I mean, as an employee, you'd just be like, oh my gosh, they trust me. <laughs> like you feel part of it, like that, which is great. Yeah. It's just, it's a different mindset. It really is at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it brings all sorts of weird edge cases too. Like when I tell people like, that's kind of how we approach hiring and training and all the rest of it. It's, well, don't you worry, like somebody's going to abuse that or do the wrong thing. Or um, like when I tell folks, when we go to, to buy things like for our home office or our travel or whatever else, like we don't run that up 
the chain anywhere. We, we just have a company credit card and we just put it on there. Right. Um, so like when you talk to people about that, well, what if somebody goes out and buys like a $4,000 computer when they didn't really need one? Okay, fine. Like we talked to them afterwards. You know? Exactly. Yeah. That, that's yeah. it. There's no big like lengthy purchasing process in place or anything. It's just if you see somebody make a decision that doesn't really vibe with us as a company, then you just talk to them and you keep going. You don't need to put like this big policy framework in place to prevent things like that. Right. It's just, yeah, it's different. We've, we've got a very similar culture here and I'd love to take credit for it, but I think it was <laughs> mostly copy and paste from Jason and David. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, seriously, I've, like our user manuals, all the books, pretty strict about work-life balance. And yeah, so that re- it really resonates. I'd like to pretend it was me, but it wasn't. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no, really. Thank you. It's also a lot, you know, you recognizing those good ideas and then making making the intentional decision to put those in practice, right? Because you can read a book all day long or you can read a whatever or listen to a podcast or watch whatever. You can get that idea from somewhere. But if you're not intentional about making sure that percolates down through the entire company into the culture itself, like it, okay. Um, it's just not going to work. So you walk in, you know, yeah. if, if you don't really have the intention of saying we are going to be a calm company that we're going to be, uh, you know, uh, we're going to guard our time and we're going to, you know, make sure that everyone isn't working crazy hours and all that. Like if you don't have the one, the authority to do, to put that in place and two, mm. the buy-in and the intention to do it, that doesn't matter. You're going to find somebody working Saturday morning just to get something shipped out the door. So you know, kudos to y'all for actually like being not only this is the idea that we want to put in place, but to just putting it in place. That's a lot of hard work. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do some things, right? Actually, um, our customer service ethos, I would say that that um, stemmed from the US more generally. And uh, I kind of got a question about that. I went to Georgia. So my friend um, from the UK was marrying a Southern Belle, proper Southern wedding with grits. Shrimp and, and grits. And we went up... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I loved it. It was really great fun. Um, and a beautiful state as well. I didn't realize how green Mm. and lush and wonderful it was, but, um, I was saying to Mariah that the British, uh, customer service culture, it, we are literally an Atlantic ocean away from the States. And when we went there, this was about 10 years ago is about the time that we were setting up SARD and, I was just like, God, they really have got it down. Like the, 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 there is a U.S. customer service culture that's really strong. And when I was a kid in the 90s in the U.K., 1980s, 1990s, it was kind of like a running joke about how OTT, U.S. customer service was. Like it was a joke. It was like, have a nice day man and we're like god those guys and what are they what are they talking about why are you telling people to have a nice day it was such a weird thing to do and um and i think with you know the invention of the internet and things that we've probably assimilated a bit more but you know basil 40 and 40 towers is not just a joke i think you could have gone to a uk hotel somewhere 
you know, a restaurant or a hotel where you would expect good customer service and you would get a misanthrope who just generally doesn't like people and would poke <laughs> you in the eyes and insult your nation running that hotel. And when we went to Georgia, my wife and I came back. So my wife runs a company with me. She's one of co-founders. And we, we came back and we were like, Do you know what? We should grab some of that real US customer service attitude and bring it back to Britain and and try to change things here and put it in place. And actually, I had a sort of question for Mariah, which is because you've had a foot mm. in both worlds. Are you? Do you notice that difference? Yeah, is when, it- when I because I moved over here ten years ago. When I first came, I remember being like, "Why is everyone so mean?" It was really, really <laughs> hard for me to adjust because, like, you know, I'm used to walking into Target and to Walmart, you know. And, oh, hi. Do you need any help finding anything? You know, really friendly. And I just didn't get anything like that. And restaurants. Oh, my gosh. You know, asking for, you know, do you mind if that's on the side? They're like, oh, <laughs> just like so angry. <laughs> I, f- I found that really, really, di- really, really difficult. But I'll say in my 10 years being here, it's definitely gotten a bit better or I've gotten used to it. So <laughs> I just need more sunshine. That's all. Yeah. But yeah, and I'm from Florida. So definitely <laughs> need some more sunshine and I need to wear flip-flops more often. I just wonder what it is about US culture that promotes that. I wonder why there is that, that thing there. Because I think it is a particularly uniquely American <laughs> thing. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's an easy answer there. I know. So growing up in the South, um, so I, I'm a fifth generation Tennessean. This is, I, I literally am living 10, 15 minutes away from where I grew up, went to school, all that kind of thing. Right. Um, around here, it was always, there was this sense of community because folks had been through hard times together. Um, and I mean, like growing up, we like, we had people that had lived through the wars and the depression and all that, that were kind of the the leaders and mentors in the, in the community. And so, you know, they, there was always this talk of like looking out for each other and making sure everyone had what they needed. And, Oh, like maybe if you had a better, um, you know, if, if your corn harvested a little bit better than Bob's down the road, like give some to him, like that, just that, like looking out for each other. And when you're in, you know, smaller communities like I'm in, like that percolates through the businesses. Um, so, you know, the, one of my favorite shops in town, like they sponsor the little league mm-hmm. down here. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. you know who they are. And when you go into mm-hmm. Walmart and you see the greeter there, like there's a good chance you like go to church with them or something. Right. So that sense of familiarity is a little there. And that just mm-hmm. kind of extends out from, from there. Uh, I like to joke, like my, um, my grandmother has never met a friend she didn't know. So you could be a complete stranger couple of minutes after talking to her you're her new best friend <laughs> and it's just you know it's just like that that just percolates out starting from the community and percolates out into the the companies and and um the the culture at large um so that that's kind of like my best guess and gut feel of how it happened here um it's hard to like extrapolate that out too far because you get into, you know, our HQ, Basecamp HQ used to be in Chicago. There's some restaurants that you go into that the rudeness is a feature, yes. right? Yes. You yeah. go in and you order a yeah. sandwich and if you don't order it the right way, they like glare at you and force you to the back of the line <laughs> until you get it right, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like that, that's a, a feature, not a bug there. So it's just, yeah. it's just 
weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bit, the, yeah. I think it's rare though to find restaurants like that. Um, there is, mm-hmm. there's one, it's called Dick's. It's, um, have you ever yep. been there? <laughs> yep. But they, they specifically, not understand it at all. <laughs> they specifically are rude to you. You go there to yeah. be like, just completely thrown under the bus and it is the weirdest place that you've ever been to because you're yeah. just like like they just throw the silverware at you they go what do you want like and they make dunce caps for you to wear it's really bizarre it's really it's like you, kind of place. no no but, but it's like they have to have places like that because i think yeah. typically restaurants are full of really cheerfulness yeah. and good customers that's like a, a british theme bar yeah. <laughs> in america <laughs> here for some british customer service (laughs) great it is always so you know we've hired uh, a couple of folks from the uk from you know germany and the eu in general and all and that's always like one of the things we have to train out is the it's okay to be you Mm. um it's okay to to use language like you would normally it's okay to to kind of be a real person versus in their previous jobs it was very much a regimented kind of setup basically um i mean like and that's not just a really you know it's not necessarily just a uk thing because we've hired people from other big corporations apple microsoft that kind of thing and it's the same you have to like train out that regimented service framework and get them to loosen up a little bit and to just act like themselves Mm. so yeah it's it's weird. It's good to know that, you know, it's becoming less prevalent over in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be up on us. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love my country. It's, it's a good place. I, we're just a funny bunch. <laughs> we just don't do that sort of thing. I think it's, yeah. I, I feel like there's actually in British culture, there's like a really high threshold, like you saying, your mom, where everyone's like a friend. And there's actually quite a high threshold. It's like, if you are willing to cross this bar of social interaction then you really are my friend mm-hmm. like we're we're swearing at each other uh, we're 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 taking a piss out of each other we're being nasty to each other and then we're friends it's like uh it's like uh, um yeah <laughs> you just keep on it people and once once you're arguing with them then you know they're your friend but the threshold of friendship is really really high <laughs> whereas my experience of going to place like ireland is again you know it's like everyone's everyone's your mate from the moment you meet them which is lovely mm-hmm. but also like i didn't work for this <laughs> <laughs> you should i shouldn't be your friend you've just met me some of it's on the customer too i mean so i remember when my wife and i went to dublin a couple of years ago we found this little bar downtown that we went into sat down at the bar and it was the first time we had been so i, I so i'm a big a whiskey fan, mm-hmm. um, bourbon and Southern whiskeys, that kind of thing had not gotten into Irish whiskey yet. But when we sat down at the bar, we told the bartender, like, look, we're in town. We wanted like, what, what's your go-to Irish whiskeys that you always drink? Can we try those? Um, and oh, by the way, can we have some, you know, food and everything else? And right off the bat, like we had established a good relationship with that bartender and you could see him interact with some of the other American tourists that were in the bar who were treating him mm. more coldish and aloofish and, and everything else. He had a different vibe with them than he did with us. So I think a lot of times it's not all the time, <laughs> of course, but mm. a lot of times you can run into like when you're talking with a company that for whatever reason, like that initial great that initial customer interaction wasn't great, how you feed back into that ongoing interaction can affect how they do as well. So that that's mm. something else just to keep in mind. Yeah. 
be a good client. Yeah, yeah. it's not hard. You, you win more flies <laughs> with honey than vinegar, right? Or something like that. Nice. Yes, yeah, yeah, like it. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing that our listeners should know, what 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 is that? What is that one thing? You come first. Um, that's the big thing to remember when you're doing any kind of customer support, service, experience, whatever you want to call it. If you are not in a good place, then you can't be expected to give good experiences to others. So just like we talked about with the airline, I guess airlines are a theme now on this. Um, put on your mask first, right? Don't go trying to help other people if you're just completely drained and don't have anything left to give at that point, because it's only going to make your situation worse. It's not going to result in the best experience for them. Um, And and that's one of those things where it's that that hero mentality that a lot of companies have. You've got to like train that out of people. You've got to give people space and permission almost to say, hey, this is not my day. (laughs) Like I've got to stop. I've got to go away for a little while. I've got to go take a walk. I've got to go like watch Netflix to turn my brain off. Like whatever they have to do to get out of whatever funk they might be in before they come back and start helping customers. Like that's the big thing. So my, it's my very, my very first rule that I always tell people working with customers, you come first. You've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> lovely sentiment it's so nice and Absolutely. our customer support team will be like yeah yeah don't burn <laughs> me out <laughs> yeah well, thank you is there anything you wanted to talk about chase i don't want to no we have covered a lot <laughs> so a for lot anyone listening to this it was a lot of ground covered um and i i would just say you know for for the folks that are listening to the podcast you know if if they do have questions uh you can reach out to me anytime you want i'm chase at hey.com um more than happy to help out like i said i geek out over this customer support and getting the experience right like this is what i've lived eat and breathe for so long and it's one of the things that i want to see other people get right not only in the tech world right but if you run a gas station call me right if, if you're like whatever whatever area you're trying to get that customer experience right like let me know because there's more often than not i'm going to end up learning something too which is really cool um so yeah if you're listening to this and you got questions chase at hey.com hit me up is there, out of interest, is there anywhere that is a kind of resource for us customer service champions that are really trying to trying to improve on this, like a resource for... Yeah, if you want to go deep dive on everything I know, uh, I used to run a, a podcast with a couple of friends called Support Ops, so supportops.co. Uh, there is about 150 some odd episodes in that collection that we literally covered the range of everything that we could possibly think about um, before we, that that show ran for a couple of years before we wrapped it up. So supportops.co is really great. There's some great conferences out there. Um, Support Driven puts on a great conference. UserConf puts on a great conference. Um, you know, with those, sometimes just being in the, it's so hard in the pandemic world now. I was going to say like being in the room, like can help, <laughs> but being in the Zoom can help, Zoom. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, supportdriven.com also has a really great support community for folks that think about the customer experience like we do. So they're a great resource. Um, yeah, those are my go-to play. Oh, help scout. Of course, this is the fourth plug for them. I'm yeah. going to send make a bill and be like, I was going to hey. say, yeah. you need sponsorship for sure. Right. Um, they are re- not only are they a great platform, they are also like the content that they have available for support teams. is just 
phenomenal. So go check them out too. Thank you very much for joining us, Chase. Really, really nice talking to you. Yeah, yeah. my pleasure. And like I said, if any, anything I can help out with, you've got my email, just let me know. Amazing. Great. That's great. Thanks, Chase. Thank you to all our listeners who tuned in to today's episode of Sardisms. We hope you've perhaps learned a few things or two about customer service and how Chase and Basecamp are paving the way to the importance of great support. You can find out more about Sard by visiting sardjv.co.uk or send us a tweet on Twitter at sardjv and use hashtag Sardisms. Until next time, have a great week. Mm-hmm.